Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Wednesday, May 18th, 2016. Broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio in Boston, Beantown Athletics, your only source for customized screen printing and embroidery, BeantownAthletics.com. Today's show is presented by SeatGeek. SeatGeek has made it easier than ever before to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. What's great about SeatGeek is the price you see is the price you get. Now, most sites are going to try to surprise you at checkout with these outrageous fees, but not SeatGeek. So make sure you download the free SeatGeek app right now and get a $20 rebate on tickets by using the promo code PICARD. That's right, as in my last name, PICARD. Now, the Red Sox are currently in Kansas City, but they return home to Fenway on Friday for a weekend series against the Cleveland Indians. And then next week... They remain home to take on the Colorado Rockies. It's always cool to see a National League team in town, but what's going to be even better than that is on May 26th at Fenway, the Boston Red Sox are going to be retiring number 26. That's the number of Wade Boggs. It'll be Wade Boggs night on May 26th. You're going to want a ticket for this one, and you're going to want a ticket for one of these games in these upcoming series. So what you need to do is, on the SeatGeek app, Set an alert for the Red Sox. Set an alert for games at Fenway. And SeatGeek will keep you updated when ticket prices fall so you can get the best deal possible. Even better, every ticket is given a grade and you can use their detailed map to see the view from your seat. SeatGeek is always the first place I go to look for tickets to a game or a concert. And it should be the first place you go as well. SeatGeek. So as the Red Sox are getting ready to begin a day-night doubleheader in Kansas City because they got rained out two nights ago, I am going to focus mainly, or at least open here with, what happened last night in the NBA draft lottery. As you know, we've been waiting for this night, waiting for this moment for a long time because all we could really do last year, as good as the Boston Celtics were, All we could really do is look at that Brooklyn pick and think, what is that Brooklyn pick going to be? You know, the Brooklyn pick. I mean, come on. We talked about it a lot. And the Brooklyn Nets were not good. Unfortunately, for the Celtics, the Nets were not the worst team in the NBA. There were two teams worse than them, the Philadelphia 76ers and the Los Angeles Lakers. And when you have two teams worse than you, that means that they will have better odds at getting the number one overall pick. And what happened last night in the NBA draft lottery is that not one team got lucky to the point where they moved up in the draft order that the percentages showed. The ping pong balls, the percentages. Going into last night, the Boston Celtics had the third best odds to get the number one overall pick. The 76ers had the best odds. The Lakers had the second best odds. I guess if you wanted to say there was one team that got lucky, it was the Lakers because if they fell out of the top three, they would lose that pick. So the Lakers keep their pick. And now, not only did the Lakers keep their pick, they get a top two pick. And if you get a top two pick, we talked about just how important that was because the top two players in this year's draft are going to be Ben Simmons and Brandon Ingram. And from everything that we, we see and hear and read, these are two players that have the capabilities to be franchise-changing players. And if you're the Lakers, you don't want to lose that top three pick because you got a, you got a pretty good, young, talented 
team when it comes to potential, like D'Angelo Russell, Julius Randle, if you can add another one, if you could add a Simmons or an Ingram to that, that's basically a big three, at least that's the way you could look at it for maybe a next, you know, 10 plus years. I, I, I think if you're the Lakers, you need to look at it that way. The 76ers, well, look, they've been getting lottery picks year after year after year. They get the number one. Is it going to be Ben Simmons? Probably. Though, I think maybe they get some some weird things coming out of Ben Simmons' camp. Doesn't want to play in Philly. Comes out, says he wants to play for the Lakers. I don't know exactly what's going to happen with that situation. But 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 let's let's just focus on what happened with the Celtics last night. The Celtics, as I mentioned, had the third best odds to get the number one overall pick. Now, I did not need them to get number one overall. But I was hoping that they could at least get one or two, get a top two pick. Because as I've said the last couple weeks, the last couple months, I think that's important because you look at the players that are available in that spot, either Simmons or Ingram. And I do think there's a drop-off in talent after those top two spots. And I I didn't hope that the Celtics got a top two pick for the purposes of the Celtics taking either Simmons or Ingram. I hope that they got a top two pick for the purposes of having that pick become a more tradable asset, having more trade value as you try to acquire a superstar player that would then help you bring Kevin Durant to Boston. I mean, that's what my mindset is at. And that's what my mindset was last night. Now, I will say this, even though the Celtics did not get a top two pick last night and the ping pong balls fell exactly the way the percentages showed with them landing the number three pick overall because of the Brooklyn pick, I wasn't too fired up about it. Like I wasn't, I didn't punch anything. I didn't throw anything at the TV. I wasn't really mad about it. I mean, I wasn't really thrilled I sort of was emotionless, to be honest with you. I was. I was emotionless. I was like, eh, eh. It's a top three pick. It's not top two. Uh, I don't think they're going to get a guy that's going to step in next year that's going to help them win a championship. I don't think they could. you can guarantee me a franchise-changing player with the number three overall pick. But, you know, the good part is it's not like they got unlucky. You know, I I was sort of emotionless because they didn't fall to number four or five. Like, they didn't fall like they have in previous lotteries in which they got extremely unlucky. Isaiah Thomas showed up at the lottery last night. And, you know, I just, I was emotionless. I was. I would have been pissed off if they did drop to four or if they did drop to the five or number five overall pick. I would have thrown someone at the TV. I would have punched a wall. I would have been mad. I would have been upset. There would have been some emotion there. Or if they ended up getting lucky and got the top, get got a top two pick, I would have been ecstatic. I would have been going nuts. I would have been tweeting with excitement. But I just was kind of like, you know, I had some people tweet me and I said, look, I, I'm having a tough time getting worked up about this. Either way, positively or negatively, because, I mean, let's be honest, the, the ping pong balls fell the way... The percentages showed. So how can I get how like how can you be too pissed off at this? I, I just think that I accept it. Being Brooklyn was bad, but they weren't bad enough. In fact, there were two teams that were worse than them. And because of that, you get the number three overall pick. But now, now this is this is where the rumors begin, right? 
This is where the rumors begin. I don't want to sit here and break down the NBA draft lottery with regards to should they change it, should they do something different, because nobody moved up. No, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get into that conversation. Is that really something you want to talk about today? Here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about what the Celtics can now do, because the last time I checked, okay, (laughs) like, if you don't know anything about the Celtics draft picks and what they currently like what they currently have to offer, here's, here's what the Celtics have going for them in this year's NBA draft. They have the number three overall pick, the number 16 overall pick, the number 23 overall pick, right? Then they have 31, 35, 45, 51, and 58. That's eight picks. In this year's draft, the Celtics have, uh, it's not, again, you're not, you're not hearing that wrong. That's, that's a correct statement. The Celtics have eight picks in this year's NBA draft. That's, that's way too many picks that any team should ever have. It is. It's way too many picks. And I think because they have so many picks, perhaps the Celtics and Danny Ainge, perhaps they lose some leverage there in trade talks. Right? They lose some leverage. I also think they lose a little a little leverage because you don't get a top two pick. And you get the third pick. And again, I, let's be honest. If you're a team that's going to make a trade with the Celtics, right? You are going to ask the Celtics to give up more knowing that that number three pick does not get you a Simmons or an Ingram. If you're the Celtics and you had a draft pick that's top two, well, all of a sudden, the trade value of that pick skyrockets through the roof, and you'd have to give up less from your current roster and probably less future draft picks in a trade to get a superstar player. But the reality is the Celtics did not get lucky last night. They didn't get unlucky. They just, they just didn't get lucky enough to increase the trade value of this pick. But, you know, what, I'm, what we got to get into is what the Celtics should do. They have all these picks. Now they have the number three overall. We know it. What's the, what's the strategy if you're Danny Ainge? What is the strategy? The rumors last night and today, and I think this is an interesting rumor based on the fact that the 76ers coach, he spoke last night at the lottery, and he talked about the core and the future, and he didn't mention Okafor's name. Jaleel Okafor, we talked about him Many times before going back to the trade deadline because he was he turned out to be one of the mystery players the Celtics were trying to acquire and actually almost acquired him from Philadelphia. Now, I told you I would absolutely make that trade. And knowing that the Celtics have the number three overall pick, I would make that trade still for Jaleel Okafor. I would. I'd make I'd be I'd be in favor of that trade. Go get Jaleel Okafor. Trade the number three pick because that's I I even felt this way if the Celtics would have end up with one or two. Trade the pick. Get the proven talent. And you got to think of it this way, too. If you're going to put Okafor into this discussion of trading the three pick, the number three overall pick for him, if Okafor stayed in school and was in this year's draft, I mean, you could make the case that Okafor would be the number one overall pick. In fact, he definitely would be. I think that someone would be taking Okafor over Simmons or Ingram. I really believe that. I believe Okafor was that good. In college. But with that said, and me telling you that I would trade for Jaleel Okafor, that is not the the be-all, end-all. Like, that is, 
that I, I have I have other options as well, I think, if I'm the Celtics, even though I didn't get lucky enough to get a top two pick. There are other options. And that's where I get to what Chris Mannix had to say today. Chris Mannix from Yahoo Sports. He is tapped in to what the Celtics do. He's, ta- he's tapped in to a lot of things in the NBA. A lot of big things. Big trades. Big rumors. And he thinks, he says that Danny Ainge... And the Celtics, that they have enough to trade for a superstar player, even though they didn't jump up to one of the top two picks. With this number three overall pick, the fact that they didn't drop down to four, five, or six, or whatever it would be, he thinks the Celtics still have enough to make a major blockbuster trade. Would Jaleel Okafor be a blockbuster trade? Sure. But here's my question to you. And I told you I'd do that. But I also need to know if there's other options before I settle on that trade. And when I hear about the Jaleel Okafor trade and that rumor, Okafor rumor, here's my question to you. And it's a question I've been asking for a long time because, you know, I've been dead set on this player. Does Jaleel Okafor equal Kevin Durant? Like, if, if you're Kevin Durant, do you choose to come to Boston because the Celtics just traded for Jaleel Okafor? I'm not so sure about that. In fact, if you had, if you wanted me to put money on it, like if you asked Kevin Durant to put a list of guys that he would like to play with and you gave him 10 slots and he could put 10 guys in, I'd put money that Jaleel Okaf is not on that list. Like guys who would be available via trade or free agency. I just feel like Okafor would not be on Durant's list. And right now, if I'm Danny Ainge and I'm the Celtics, I am doing things to make sure... Kevin Durant, like, um, to make sure I have his attention, and not just his attention, okay? Because I said this the other night on WEEI, and I've said this multiple times on this show before, and I don't know if it's gotten through to people or not, but this idea that the Celtics, Danny Ainge, this idea that they don't have an idea of what Kevin Durant wants or who he would like to play with is insane. They do. The Celtics do. In fact... I think the Celtics are probably tapped in enough, and Danny Ainge is tapped in enough to the NBA scene with agents, people close to Durant, whether it be family, friends, in fact, maybe even Durant himself. I think they're tapped in enough to know exactly what Durant wants, who he wants to play with, who he doesn't want to play with. Because I've seen it. I've seen the text messages on players' phones who are under contract with another team from GMs of other teams that try to convince them, whether it's the upcoming offseason or even maybe accepting a trade, to come to their team. It's called tampering. It's illegal. But I got news for people. It happens, okay? It happens. And if you're the Celtics, you know how many people are trying to tamper with the Kevin Durant stuff probably all season long? Do you know how how many people have been trying to do that? You think the Celtics aren't one of them? Is this an accusation that's strong? I don't know if the Celtics... I don't have any facts on the Celtics. I'm just talking about other sports. I've seen it. I've seen it. And you know what? It might be a sport that surprises you that I've seen this. I've literally read the text messages on players' phones from GMs of other teams that have tried to convince these players while they're under contract with another team to come sign with them during the upcoming offseason. I've seen the text messages. I've seen the tampering. It happens. 
You think the Celt you think the Celtics are, uh, are the exception of the rule when you have a player as big, as special, as franchise changing as a Kevin Durant who's going to be an impending free agent? I don't think that changes. My my point is this: the Celtics, I am sure of it, have have made steps in the last six months to try to get a vibe as to one what Kevin Durant's plan is, and two if the plan is to test free agency to see if they have a shot based on what their organization is. And if they feel like they have a shot, I can guarantee you that the Celtics have, t- have taken serious steps to try to get into the head of Kevin Durant to see what would convince him to come to Boston. Like, what would be the deal breaker? I think Danny Ainge is a pretty good idea of what the deal breaker would be. And if the deal breaker is a specific player, I'm going to tell you right now, as much as I like Jaleel Okafor, and I'd like to see the Celtics trade for him, and I would make that move if you had to settle on that move, that's not the first trade that I'm making because I'm not so sure that Okafor is someone that is a deal breaker for Kevin Durant. I, I just don't think so. I really don't. Now, you might say, okay, so you, you want to trade the pick. You don't think it's Okafor. Who is the deal breaker? Well, a couple names of Chris Mannix. I, I see him throughout today. Who says that Ainge still is enough with the number three overall pick to make a trade, to make a blockbuster move. Uh, a couple names he throws out. Jimmy Butler. We've talked about him with the Chicago Bulls. Okay? Demarcus Cousins. We've talked about him with the Sacramento Kings. Well, how about Paul George? Right? How about Paul George? I... I don't know if the Paul George thing makes sense for the Pacers. I really don't. I think maybe if the Celtics had a top two, that might work. Um, but what I do look at, and I'm very serious about, and I've been very serious multiple times over, is the DeMarcus Cousins thing. Like, DeMarcus Cousins is the type of player that who's a big, who I could see being the deal breaker to get Kevin Durant to Boston. I do. I, I see a tr- I see a player like that that could come here that all of a sudden you get Durant to play with him. I mentioned it yesterday. You know, they were involved in the Team USA stuff together. I know they were in an altercation during a game a couple months ago in the regular at the end of the regular season. But if you watch that video again, in fact, the way the altercation went down and how it it concluded I get the sense that that altercation shows me that Durant and Cousins are actually friends rather than enemies. Like, there, there could have very easily, if there was any built-up aggression between either, either of those guys towards each other that they might have been holding in, that would be the moment in which that frustration comes out. And yet, it's the complete opposite. It's almost as if they go out of their way to not get in each other's face and to, to turn their... their Anger and frustration and directed towards someone else on the other team. I, I, I just, I got that sense that that altercation actually showed me these two guys might be good friends. You know, they played all-star teams together. I, I'm not going to use that altercation to scare me away. I'm not. And people might, you know, there's a lot of people in this town, every time I bring up DeMarcus Cousins' name, that they get scared away because he seems like a head case. He flips out on his coaches. Uh, He seems like a bad locker room guy. But, I mean, what comes first? You know, to me, you got to dig a little bit deeper into DeMarcus Cousins' issues. And I think the biggest issue is that he's sick and tired of losing. Sick and tired of losing. The altercation, the first altercation that he had with George Carl last year in the locker room, 
was after they began the season like one and eight or something. And that early on in the season, it was already, hey, this is the type of year it's going to be once again. And I'm sorry if I'm DeMarcus Cousins and I'm putting up 25 and 12, you know, I got to look around and say, let's go. Somebody step it up right now. Like, let's fucking do something. Like, here I am in Sacramento once again, putting up monstrous numbers in my mid-20s. And yet, here we are losing every single game. Like, let's figure this out. And, you know, there's frustration towards the coach. I'd, I'd rather see the guy frustrated at losing than the guy who accepts losing and just accepts putting up big numbers on his own and is just looking at his next contract. Like, uh, I actually am okay with the frustration from a guy who continues to lose every single season in the, he's in the NBA. I think the kid wants to win. And when you talk about maturity, immaturity, come, come on. Doesn't, don't, you, don't you mature as, a, as, a, as an adult as you get older? That's going to happen. But at the end of the day, I think if you brought Cousins to the Celtics, the Celtics would win. And if the Celtics are winning, are we seeing the head case? Are we seeing the immaturity? And I, I just feel like the Celtics franchise, it's not a circus. You step into that building. It's not a circus. That, that's, that's a museum, okay? That's history. That's legendary shit going on at the TD Garden. It's, it's a completely different vibe from what's going on in Sacramento. Don't try to tell me it's not. I think that's a factor here, folks. I do. I think you need to look at the human, the human nature aspect of this is important to me. And, and I've tried to dig deep into the DeMarcus Cousins' problems. Can he be a punk? Of course he is. But what do you think? Everybody running around the NBA is, is an angel? I mean, come on. Let's, you, you'd be naive to think that. Don't, don't think that. Some of the best players who have ever played the game have been some of the biggest punks you'll ever meet in your entire life. Your entire fucking life. So the DeMarcus Cousins, people get rattled when I mention his name sometimes, but I look at the talent. And I just, you can't overlook the talent. It's, it's pretty special talent. And I think he's talented enough. He's dominant enough. Where if you brought him here just on his own, the Celtics would be a contender for the number one seed in the East. And if that's the case, I think you'd be good enough to convince someone like Kevin Durant. Like, it's going to take a player like that to get Durant. It is. And if you can somehow make a package with this number three overall pick, with some of your other 1,700 picks you got this year, with even a couple other plays, look, you're going to have to give an extra player or two. You might have to give up, not might, you definitely, because you didn't get a top two pick, you're going to have to give up a little bit more talent from your roster. And it might be, it might be a painful addition to a trade package. It might be. But you're going to have to do it if you can get a player like that, especially if you can then tell me that you have a shot to get another superstar player on top of it via free agency. I just, and you know what? Even if it's, even if it's not Durant, there are other big name players available. I, but, I, but I am focused on Durant. You're right. So let's stick with him right now because I, I think it's an important conversation. I do. And, and to me, DeMarcus Cousins is your guy right now. If you're Danny Ainge, you have this number three overall pick, all right, I can see the Jaleel Okafor stuff, but perhaps Danny Ainge can somehow use some Jaleel Okafor rumors and, and news to be leaked out, and, and maybe that can give him some leverage. 
Because maybe then he can get a couple teams fighting for that number three overall pick. Look, if you're Sacramento, you get the number eight overall pick. Things have not worked out for you with DeMarcus Cousins. If you can get two top ten picks, right, in this year's draft, on top of maybe the Celtics adding another very good young player or two with the package, and if you're the Celtics, don't forget, you got Brooklyn's first-round pick next year that you can switch with and their first-round pick the year after that. Is What's Brooklyn doing? And Because they're certainly not drafting in the top three. I tell you that, it's the Celtics taking their picks. So is Brooklyn going to improve? What free agents are going to Brooklyn? What trades are they making? They don't even have first-round picks to trade. Brooklyn's going to be horrible. So the Brooklyn picks the next couple years are very valuable. Very valuable. And you could also package that with the number three overall pick, or one of those two picks. So Danny Ainge, look, he didn't get lucky last night, but he didn't get unlucky. And I agree with Chris Mannix that this they're still in position to make a major trade. They are. They're in position to make it. Um, and, and let the trade rumors begin. But the more rumors, the better, because that might give Danny Ainge some leverage. Because I do think he loses some leverage having all these picks this year. Eight picks. I mean, you can't, you can't make them, right? <laughs> you got to package them. If you're, if you're looking around the league and you're looking at a team that might want to take a chance on getting a couple extra picks this year and, and forfeiting the superstar player that you haven't been able to win with, it would be Sacramento. It would be Sacramento. And for the talent that we talk about that could be available in one of these blockbuster trades, whether it's Okafor, Butler, George, Cousins, who's the guy that has the most talent out of all these players? It's Cousins, and I don't even think it's close. I love the way George can shoot. Jimmy Butler, I I really like his all-around game, and he just signed a big contract. Okafor, I think the upside, you know, I think if he's in this year's draft, I think Okafor goes number one overall. But there is nobody on that list that I just gave you that, in my opinion, has the, has the talent and the skill set that DeMarcus Cousins brings to the table. There's nobody on that list that I just gave you that is DeMarcus Cousins. And if you can get him, you get him right now. You bring him here. Because at least you could convince me that if you get Cousins and you don't get Durant still, Cousins makes you a contender in the East. He does. He makes you a contender in the East. And if Cousins is on a team that's a contender and that's winning, I am going to guarantee you right now that he is going to look like a different cat when it comes to what's going on between the ears and in his chest. I'm telling you right now. That's the move the Celtics need to make. They need to trade it. For, you can't make the pick. Like I saw, who said it last night on Comcast? So I just read the, I didn't even click the link because I just, I couldn't get into it. Like I was wondering, like, am I on planet fucking Earth reading this comment? Who is it? Scalabrini? Brian Scalabrini? He, uh, I guess his quote was, he thinks the Celtics should keep the number three overall pick and they should draft and stash Dragon Bender, the seven-footer from Europe. Like, stash? Draft and stash? Like, are we are we on the same planet? Is, is Scal on the same planet as us? <laughs> because uh, judging from that quote, I'm going to say no, he's not. I'm going to say no, he's not on the same planet. Draft and stash. In no situation 
Should the Celtics, with the number three overall pick, be looking to even use the word stash? Like, if you're going to draft, you better not. If you're going to draft at three, you better not stash. That's the way I feel. Not drafting and stashing. Could Bender be a good player? What's he, seven-footer who can shoot, power forward, center? I guess. I'd be lying to you, though, if I told you that I, I watched more than two and a half minutes of video of this guy. Like, I just haven't. So I don't know. And, and what I, but what I do know is I'm not drafting, I'm not keeping the number three overall pick from the Celtics. Seeing what, seeing the improvements that you've made the last two years, the last year and a half, I'm not making the number three overall pick to stash something. No, that's fucking insane. That's a, that, that's, I don't even know why you would say that. That's a, and I'll guarantee you that's not what's going to happen. Danny Ainge is not making the number three pick. He's not making it. Even if it means packaging one of, you know, another Brooklyn pick in the future, first-round pick the next two years with it, with a roster player or two. I mean, it's got to happen. It's got to happen. You got to make the move. You got to make the blockbuster deal. Go out and make this trade. I, I'd be telling you this even if they got lucky and moved up to number two or number one. I would. I'd be telling you that. Yeah, I think as we've, as we've moved closer to the draft, I think maybe my mindset has been a little bit leaning towards like a Brandon Ingram instead, but still, I just, the best case scenario, and I do believe Danny Ainge probably feels the same way, is to trade this pick in a blockbuster deal, and if you're telling me it's going to be a blockbuster deal that's going to be the most talented player available that you could make available, I think you can make DeMarcus Cousins available and say to Sacramento, hey, you get the number eight overall pick. How about number three and number eight? That's pretty good. Two picks in the top eight. That's pretty damn good. So that's the type of move I want to see the Celtics make. Uh, there's, we get some time to, to see these rumors, but let the rumors begin. I tell you that. Let the rumors begin. Hey, more rumors, the better. Because I do think that probably, you know, if, if, if they are in talks with Sacramento and then something comes out that the Celtics are talking to other teams, because, you know, if you're Danny Ainge, that's the card you're going to play. You're going to say, well, you know, I give up this much, but we possibly could make this move for Okafer that we don't have to give up this. But we still want to give you this number three overall pick. Could you take a little less or could you take this player instead of that player? Could you take this pick instead of that future pick? Yeah, I, I, That's where Danny Ainge can get some leverage. So I'm telling you, let the rumors begin. And, and they will, they're going to begin, and they're going to fly. But that's the way the NBA draft lottery went last night, and that's what I need the Celtics to do. I got, I'm all in on DeMarcus Cousins. I'm, I'm just, I'm all in. I've told you that actually for the last year. But now that we know what the Brooklyn pick is, it's, I mean, all in. Make it happen. Go make it happen. Go get DeMarcus Cousins and go get him right now. Nobody's untouchable. That's the way I look at it. Now, you got to tell me the exact package and, and what picks combined with the players you're giving up. But, you know, you don't... Sacramento mentions a name. You don't say, no, nah, I can't give him up. You don't say that. Not when you're talking about someone who has the talent of a DeMarcus Cousins. You don't. And I do think DeMarcus Cousins is the type of player that could convince someone like Kevin Durant to come play for your team combined with the legacy and the history of the Celtics and, and you know, what the Celtics have been able to do the last couple of years with their improvement, with the coach that they have, and even the commitment level that Danny Ainge is going to show someone like Kevin Durant by going out and making this blockbuster move to get a DeMarcus Cousins. You know, all of that. 
a combination of all that, to me, is the best pitch to someone like Kevin Durant. And at the end of the day, that's who my eye is on. And speaking of Kevin Durant, Durant and the Oklahoma City Thunder will be in Golden State for their Game 2 of the Western Conference Finals tonight. Uh, Golden State is an 8.5-point favorite. You saw Oklahoma City, the way they won the other night. Oklahoma City went into Golden State, won Game 1. They stole that one. Durant had a big shot late. You know, the non-travel call was a factor because... In a three-point game, if Golden State has possession with 17 seconds left, if there's one team that's going to hit a big three in that moment, it's going to be Golden State. At the same time, I have a tough time getting worked up, worked up about non-traveling calls in the NBA because you could probably give me 20 a game that were not called. That's, that's basically what you could give me. Uh, but the Golden State Warriors tonight are my lock. They will win. They will cover an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. Believe you... Look, Oklahoma City's been playing great. I told you my theory why they've been playing so great. They eliminated the Spurs. I didn't think that was going to happen. They go into Golden State, win game one. I didn't think that was going to happen. They've been playing inspired basketball because I think deep down inside, they know this could be the final run with Durant, with this group. And, and I, I think they're feeding off that energy right now. But with that said, to me, it is a downright guarantee that Golden State just shoots the lights out tonight at home in Game 2. And they will not fall behind 2-0. They will not lose two straight at home uh, in this series. It's just not going to happen. And they're an 8.5-point favorite. This spread would need to be double digits for me to think about going the other way. I'm taking Golden State minus 8.5. Now, last night, I told you that the Cleveland Cavaliers were guaranteed to win and cover. Oh, they 11-point favorite? I told you they'd, they'd win this big. Cavaliers whooped the Toronto Raptors last night, 115-84. to 84. And this was a dunk fest. Watch the highlights. All they're going to show you is dunks because that's all the Cavaliers did. All they did was dunk. And they weren't just like little dunks. They were ferocious dunks. Like they had the whole Cavaliers bench falling off. The Cavaliers look great right now. They have yet to lose a game in the playoffs, and I would be actually, I, I would be willing to put money down that they sweep Toronto and go to the NBA Finals undefeated in the playoffs. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. They look locked in. All aspects of their game seem to be good. Uh, they're finishing down low. They're hitting their threes. They seem to be gelling their chemistry, the body language they have together. It's like something we've never seen with this Cleveland team. But it's something I've told you since day one. And even last night after Cleveland's big win, which they whooped Toronto in game one, I get to watch people like Stephen A. Smith go, well, you know, this is the East, and I won't be picking the Cavaliers until I see them in the, in the finals against the Western Conference team, against some tougher competition. I just can't do it. I just can't pick them right now. They're playing the Raptors, okay? They played the Pistons. They played the Hawks. They haven't played Golden State or Oklahoma City yet. I mean, it's, it's people like that that piss me off. It's people like that that are going to overlook Cleveland just because of the competition. And I know you look at a competition and you say, well, Danny, you got to admit, the East isn't as good as the West. And I admit that. I'm not, I'm not saying 
that the competition in the East is as good as the West. But what I'm telling you is Cleveland is dominating the competition in the East so much that you have to put them on the level as a, as a top team in the Western Conference. you got to put them on the same level. LeBron James is one of the best players in the world. And when you have Love and Irving with him and some of the supporting cast that they had that helped LeBron last year win two games against Golden State in the finals without Irving and Love, you're not going to give Cleveland a shot. It's just people like Stephen A. Smith in that moment last night when he's going on that rant, I'm sitting there saying, I mean, when are we going to learn? Look, I don't like LeBron James, but, but I'm willing to look at it realistic enough to say, if you lined up the best players in the world against the wall and you needed me to pick one to win you a game, LeBron James is going to be the first person I pick, even though Steph Curry hits three-pointers from half court like it's, like it's his job. Steph Curry does some amazing things in this game. Wins an MVP again. Unanimous. Um, but LeBron James to me, I mean, he's the most dominant all-around player in the world. And for someone who covers the NBA on a regular basis, like Stephen A. Smith, to just not acknowledge that because they're playing Eastern Conference competition, is is just, it's ignorant and it's arrogant. I mean, it just, it just comes off the wrong way. It's like, what are you doing? You cover the fucking NBA. Like, do you not see how good the Cavaliers are right now? I, I, I get the competition isn't as good as the West, but the Cavaliers are rolling. They're not just winning. They're rolling. It's a difference. It's a difference. It's one thing if Cleveland was just squeezing. If they're barely squeezing by the East, they're winning these series in six games, winning a couple in a seven-game series. They're, they haven't lost the playoff game yet, Stephen A. What the fuck? Wake the fuck up. So, uh, Cleveland is scary. And you know what? When they get to the finals, because of the competition, there's going to be a lot of heroes that cover the NBA who are going to be picking the Western Conference team just because of the competition. And and these are idiots. These people are idiots. They are. It's one thing if you want to just pick the Western Conference team and, and give me matchups and breakdowns and say, well, this Cleveland can't do this against this team. That's fine. I have no problem with that. I'm not telling you you have to pick the Cavaliers to win it all. But what I am telling you, if you do pick a Western Conference team whether it's Golden State or Oklahoma City to beat Cleveland. Don't, don't give me the reason of Cleveland not having any tough competition in the playoffs in the East. Like, don't make that be the reason. Because that's just stupid. Because they're not just beating these teams. They're whooping these teams. They're rolling on these teams. And Cleveland's a scary team. And they're going to scare a team in the West. People still forget that LeBron James won two games against Golden State last year in the finals. Two games without his support is is the biggest pieces of his supporting cast. Two games. People forget that. I I always will remind people of that. But that's what we had in the NBA playoffs last night. Uh, So the Cavaliers lead that series one game tonight. Golden State versus OKC tonight. Game two in Golden State. The Warriors looking to even this series up at one game apiece. And they will and they will cover as an eight and a half Point favorite in the Stanley Cup playoffs. San Jose last night defeated St. Louis four to nothing in St. Louis. The Sharks even that series at one game apiece. Tonight the Penguins are in Tampa Bay to take on the Lightning at eight o'clock for Game Three of their Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, that series is tied 
at one. And the Red Sox today with a day-night doubleheader as they get into some baseball here to close out the show. Last night was not a good night for Rick Porcello. He gets the loss. Five innings for Rick Porcello. Allowed eight hits, one home run, uh, four earned runs, five runs, but four earned. Walked two, struck out only three, threw 106 pitches. Um, It was just a bad night for Rick Porcello. You know, it was. Leaving things up in the zone. Uh, Kansas City was, was knocking them around. It, it just eh, it wasn't a good night. Now, I look at it, and I go, Porcello's going to give you some games in which, in which he has bad nights because he does not have overpowering stuff. And if it's not overpowering and it's up in the zone all night to the point where, you know, he's not really pitching with conviction and it's out over the plate, he, there are major league ball clubs that are going to knock him around a couple times. It's going to happen. Porcello's going to see his nights like last night. I, we have to accept that. You know, put away the money that he makes. It's been great what Porcello's been able to do to this point. You know, I think the confidence that he's built has has been huge for his game on the mound. But let's not act like the expectations should change to the point where we're handing him the Cy Young or saying he's going to be contending for a Cy Young later this season. Like, that's not going to happen. Like, if you believe that, then you're really sipping the Kool-Aid. I root for the Red Sox as hot as any person here in Boston. It's my team. But I also can manage my expectations with guys that I've watched over the years and know what they actually are. Porcello's been giving you some great pitching. Much needed great pitching. But to think that he was just going to go on a roll the rest of the season and be in contention for Cy Young is unrealistic. What you saw last night, you're going to see some nights out of Porcello like that. Now, I hope it doesn't, I, I hope it doesn't come to the point where a, a start like last night can knock his confidence to where he can't turn it around and get back to that confident pitcher. That would be troublesome. That would be very troublesome. Um, but, you know, we're going to have to wait and see. We're going to have to wait and see. That's not my biggest concern because I, I expect there are going to be some nights, like last night from Porcello, in which he's going to get knocked around because he doesn't have overpowering stuff and, and he can at times leave some pitches flat over the plate, especially in a hitter's count. And that's no good in this league. That's no good, especially against an offense like Kansas City that you know is exciting enough where they're one of these teams that you look at and think, ah, they're never really out of a game, right? But so is the Red Sox offense. So even when you get a game and a start like that last night from Rick Porcello, you'd think to yourself, well, the Red Sox are still in this game. And they did battle back. Travis Shaw with a huge three-run home run in the sixth inning. But then Koji Uihara comes in to relieve Tommy Lane in the eighth and I'm not going to lie. I'm thinking, you know, where's Carson Smith? Hadn't pitched since Saturday. Has only pitched three times in the month of May since he's been called up. And what is it we called up? First week of May? May 3rd, I think. Only pitched three times. I'm wondering, where's Carson Smith? You know, keep this game close. Bring in your best guy to keep this game a one-run game to give this Red Sox offense a chance uh, to do something in the next inning. And you bring in Koji. He, he has not had the best his best stuff this season. That's that's evident. That's not an opinion. It's a fact. And Koji, all right, he comes in with a runner on first. There's a bunt. He makes a terrible throw to first. And that ends up scoring a run. And then he allows a home run in which that splitter was supposed to be down 
and more inside, and it just didn't have the dip on it. And it was out flat over the plate, and um, it wasn't good location. It wasn't great movement. When Koji's giving you that, you know, it's that's batting practice. And that's exactly what Orlando did, and he hit the home run, and it made it 7-4. So, or excuse me, made it 8-4. to four. But it didn't matter. The Red Sox did not get another run in this game, and they lose last night. Eight to four, but as I mentioned, not seeing Carson Smith concerning, and as I told you, Porcello is not my biggest concern right now because the Red Sox they do have other concerns, major concerns, and it is involved with the pitching staff because Carson Smith they're saying he now has a forearm issue again. He began the season on the DL, he returned, but now they're saying his forearm issue has creeped in again, and that is terrible news. And they are not ruling out another DL stint. And you know what comes next after another DL stint? The dreaded two words, Tommy John. I hope that's not the case, but I just kind of sense that that's the road we're going down now that we hear more forearm stuff with Carson Smith and at another DL stint as possible. I just, that's what I fear. I think he was going to be a big piece of the puzzle out of that bullpen, and that's not the only major concern the Red Sox have with the pitching staff right now. The other major concern is that Eduardo Rodriguez has suffered a setback in his right knee. And the Red Sox are telling us now they expect him to be back at some point this season, but they can't tell for sure when that will be. And in fact, now they say Eduardo Rodriguez will not return anytime soon. And that's terrible news because the Red Sox, as I've told you many times, They should be looking forward to Eduardo Rodriguez getting into this rotation because I think he can be a stud. But if he's not going to be back anytime soon, all of a sudden, if you're Dave Dombrowski, you got to look at this thing and go, "Uh uh-oh, we need some pitching. And we need this pitching to not just hold up the ones we have now. We still need to make additions. We thought Eduardo Rodriguez would be one of those additions. It turns out that might not be the case. So, (sighs) this is just, this is bad news if you're the Red Sox. It's bad news, and it comes on a night in which you got a bad start from Rick Porcello. And you got Stephen Wright on the mound today in this doubleheader. And then you got David Price tonight in the nightcap. Now, a little programming note I'll be on WEEI tonight until midnight. I might only have like a 15 minute show, but it's going to be something. So make sure you tune in. I'm also going to be back on WEEI 10 to midnight tomorrow night, Thursday night. Uh, because the Red Sox will have tomorrow off, and then they'll return home uh, to face the Cleveland Indians over the weekend and then the Colorado Rockies. So that's a little programming note for you. But the Red Sox right now, their biggest concern, pitching, not Porcello and what happened last night, but guys that they thought they would have sticking around like a Carson Smith and a guy that they thought they would have returning soon, and Eduardo Rodriguez, eh, Not so much anymore, and that is some very bad news coming out of the Red Sox camp. You know, a day after, I've been sitting there telling you, you need to be optimistic about this Red Sox team, and I think they are for real because I think they're also going to improve. Now, it would seem moving forward, if Eduardo Rodriguez isn't going to be back soon, it would seem that the Red Sox should be even more interested in trading for a stud starting pitcher at the trade deadline. Uh, And as I'm going to write in the Boston Metro later this week, if there's one guy to be able to pull that off, 
and have the balls to pull something like that off, it is Dave Dombrowski. So that's where the Red Sox stand right now. I will react to this doubleheader on tomorrow's podcast. I will also react to this Golden State, Oklahoma City game, and whatever happens with the Penguins and the Lightning in their Game 3 of the Eastern Conference Finals. And, of course, any news and any juicy rumors that we get with the Celtics now that we know they have the number three overall pick in the draft. Again, my reaction to that is I'm sort of emotionless. At least they didn't fall back to four or five. Would have been nice to get one or two, but that's just the way the percentages showed. It played out the way the percentages showed the ping pong balls would fall. Either way, the Celtics need to do one thing. They need to package that pick in some blockbuster deal to get a superstar player. And as I told you, that superstar needs to be DeMarcus Cousins, in my opinion. I'm here five days a week. DannyPicard.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, anywhere podcasts are available. Don't forget SeatGeek. Download the free SeatGeek app right now and use the promo code PICARD to get a $20 rebate on tickets. Set that alert for the upcoming Red Sox series against the Indians and the Rockies because as I mentioned Wade Boggs night at Fenway retiring number 26 is on May 26th and you don't want to miss the best tickets the best deals possible. That is on the Seat Geek app. I am out. Talk to you tomorrow.